Well, you've heard the phrase before, like father, like son, right? That's a pretty common thing. And um, I, there's, there is nothing that, well, a few things in life that cheer me more than when people say to me, boy, Greg, you are your father's son. And that excites me because I, I was always uh, very proud of my dad. But this morning we're going to talk about like father, unlike son. And uh, when I do premarital counseling with couples, I talk to them about how when they get married, they come together and they take all their family differences and they, and they create a new family. And a lot of times the, the thought is, is the things that you didn't like about how your parents raised you, you change. And the things that you loved, you keep the same. And you, yeah, you keep the good and get rid of the bad from your own perspective. And so we're going to talk about a difference between a father and a son this morning. We're going to uh, continue our series in Samuel, and I'll ask you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 14 this morning. And I want to give a quick review of where we are in Samuel. Um, Israel has gotten into another conflict with the Philistines. And Samuel told Saul to wait for him before they went into battle. Wait for me for seven days and uh, I will come and make sacrifices to the Lord before the battle begins. But there was a problem. Uh, Samuel didn't get there when, quite when he said he would. He did, uh, the way I read it in the scripture is he got there on the seventh day. He just got there later in the day. Well, Saul was getting nervous. He couldn't wait any longer because his army was falling apart. Guys were deserting and his men were very, very scared. So Saul said, well, go ahead. We'll just do the sacrifices without Samuel. But this was a big no-no. See, Samuel was the high priest and that was his job. And there's a lot of things in, in, in the laws of Moses that say, you know, Saul, you shouldn't be doing that. So as a result, Samuel told Saul that his dynasty as king will end with him. Now, in the rest of chapter 13, we find out that Saul has only 600 soldiers left. And one of the other things that they talk about in the end of chapter 13, you can go back and read this later, is there were no blacksmiths in Israel. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. There were no blacksmiths in Israel. The Philistines wouldn't allow it. The only blacksmiths that the Israelites could go to were uh, Philistine blacksmiths. Now, you would have to go to a blacksmith occasionally, right? Because you'd have to sharpen your hose and your farming tools and that sort of thing. But see, the Philistines charged them prices for all this. And oh, sharpen your hoe? Okay, that's, that's just a little bit, not too much. And, and sharpen this? Okay, that's not too much. But they couldn't go to a blacksmith to have a sword made because they charged them an outrageous price that they couldn't afford. So think about this. Israel didn't have any swords or spears because they couldn't afford it. Actually, there were only two people in Israel's army that had swords and spears. Saul, it's good to be the king, huh? And his son, Jonathan, who we're going to meet very, very soon. So you sit there and you go, well, wait a minute, what are they going to fight with? Well, I'm sure that at times when they would beat Philistines, they would take their armor and that. But the, the point here is, is they're pretty outmatched weapons-wise, right? So let's pick it up in chapter 14 here. There's an outline in the bulletin if you want to take notes and follow along this morning. And I want to talk about a secret mission. And this is when we first meet Saul's son, Jonathan. He was mentioned earlier, remember, because Saul had created a standing army 
and he had a certain number of men under him and then a certain number of men under Jonathan. So here's what it says, starting in chapter 14. Follow along, if you will, please. It says, One day Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father he, what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree of Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the linen ephod. I'll explain that later. Ahijah was the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Ahitub was the son of Phinehas and the grandson of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. Remember, he was the one who was old and fat, fell out of his chair and died. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israel camp. Now, look. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Senna. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the other, on the south, was in front of Geba. Let's go across to see those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. So, here's what's going on. The Philistines had split up their forces. Some men went to guard the pass between two cliffs. It was one way of getting access to the Philistine army. And it wasn't an easy access, so the Philistines said, we're going to put some guys there just to guard them in case Israel tries to sneak up through that pass between the cliffs. But look at Jonathan's attitude. I love it. He's ready to face them. Jonathan's confidence was in, in God. And he knew that the Lord would bring them victory. He says, let's go across and see those pagans. And in some translations, says, let's go see those uncircumcised Philistines. There's kind of a little bit of a detestment towards them. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. This is a little bit of a contrast from his dad, isn't it? Jonathan's going, God can win the battle, even if it's just two of us. And Saul's going, oh my gosh, my men are leaving. I've only got 600 guys left. I can't wait for Samuel anymore. Okay, there's a big difference there, isn't there? We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Look what happens next. Verse 7, and this is awesome. His armor bearer says this, do what you think is best, the youth replied. I'm not sure this is what he signed up for, but okay. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him. We'll cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are and we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up to them. Seems like a good decision, right? But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. And they shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. All right, it's on, right? Come on, climb up right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell back as Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them right and left. They killed about 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. Can you imagine that? They come up over the hill and, you know. When the Philistines saw them, they challenged them. And you, you see, they thought Jonathan and his armor bearer were just some of the deserters who had left Saul's army who were going and hiding in caves and things like that. 
Jonathan says, hey, they called us up here. That's our cue. Let's go. Now, you have to understand about armor bearers. Now, this is Jonathan's armor bearer, and it sounds funny. He's like, okay, Jonathan, whatever you say. I, I mean, some of us may have had pause to go, you know, can we think about this for a few minutes? And, I mean, there's just two of us. There's just two of us here. But armor bearers were chosen because they were unbelievably faithful. Unbelievably faithful. And you hear what he says. Whatever you say, Jonathan, I'm with you, man. So they go up and they slaughter about 20 guys. But meanwhile, back in Saul's camp, let's see what happens. And this is the next point this morning. What's all the ruckus? Starting in verse 15, it says, Suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. Saul's lookouts in Gibeah saw a strange sight. The vast army of Philistines began to melt away in every direction. Find out who is in here, Saul ordered. And when they checked, they found that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. So, like, who's responsible for this? You see, the Philistines became very, very confused, okay? And we'll, we'll read more about that in a little bit. Not just the ones that were nearby, but all of the troops. It says that confusion kind of poured through the Philistine army. Remember, they were split up at this point in different places. Their confusion was so great that Saul and his men could hear or maybe even see what was going on. Gosh, there's quite a ruckus going on there with the Philistine army. And Saul wonders, who is fighting the Philistines? What the heck? Everybody's here, right? Make sure everybody's here, will you? And they find out the only two people missing are his son and his armor bearer. So how does Saul react to this situation? How would you react? There's this ruckus here with the Philistine army, and the only people gone are your son and his armor bearer. How would you react? I think my first reaction would probably be, I need to go help my son. Let's see how Saul reacts. Verse 18. He says this. Then Saul shouted to Ahijah, bring the ephod here. For at the time, Ahijah was wearing the ephod in front of the Israelites. And while Saul was talking to the priest, the shouting and confusion in the Philistine camp grew louder and louder. So Saul said to Ahijah, never mind, let's get going. And Saul and his 600 men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews who had gone over to the Philistine army revolted and joined in with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, the men who were hiding in the hills joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even out beyond the haven. It's interesting because Saul doesn't say right away, he doesn't say, hey, let's go help. He calls for the ephod. Now, some translations say he calls for the ark. Now, really, this is a very interesting thing, and I, I read a whole bunch of stuff in this week. Why does some say, translations say ephod? Why does some say ark? I still don't know. But the, the ephod was the garment that the, high, that the priest would wear. It was like a vest or whatever, and there were some different pockets and stuff in it. One of the things in it was... Uh, like dice or bones or, I don't know, Dan, what would you call them? Dice, I guess. 
something like that, where they would cast lots to see, okay, God, you know, it was like, it was like the early version of the Magic 8-Ball. Okay, God, do you want us to do this? And I don't mean to belittle it. God spoke to Israel through when they would cast lots. But the point is, is that Saul was trying to see what God wanted him to do. What, God, what do you want us to do? God, what do you want us to do here? I don't know what to do. God, what do you want us to do? The ruckus seems to get louder and louder and louder. So Saul decides, we, we should just go. And when they get there, it's amazing. The Philistines are killing each other. They're killing each other. Can you imagine that? You walk up and say, and you just stand there and you're watching your enemy kill each other. There's a great scene in, in Lord of the Rings where Samwise Gamgee, and if you don't know Lord of the Rings, I'm very sad for you, but Samwise Gamgee goes to save Frodo, and he's all by himself, and he's got to face all these orcs. And as he comes to face them, confusion happens amongst them, and the orcs start killing each other. Gee, I wonder where Tolkien got that idea from. Hmm. But the same thing here. They come to face them, and they're killing each other. So Saul and his men joined in the battle. Even those who deserted had come back. Those who had defected to the Philistines rejoined Israel. It was a great victory for Israel. It was awesome. What a great story, huh? So what can we learn from it? And this morning, I want to point out three factors as we look at this story. And what I want to focus on is, is the two people, Jonathan and Saul. Two or three factors that show the difference between these two men, okay? Three factors that Saul and Jonathan handle very differently. Because in life we will face different things, and we're going to see how these two guys handle things. So if you like to write things down and fill things in, this is your chance. The first idea is this, what I call the scenario factor. You see, you look at Saul, and he was controlled by his scenario. He was controlled by the scenario. He was controlled by his circumstances. The situation seemed really dire, didn't it? When we look back on when he decided to make the sacrifices without Samuel, he only had 600 soldiers left against thousands of the enemy. Saul was freaking out a little bit. Where's Samuel? Where's Samuel? He's not here yet. He's not, he didn't have a watch, but maybe he's looking at the sun going, it's not quite, he's not here. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? So finally Saul can't wait anymore because he's freaking out. If I wait any longer, all my men are going to leave, and it's going to be all by myself, and then I'm really in trouble. But Jonathan, look at him. He had a plan to attack the Philistines with two people. He had no idea how many soldiers were waiting for him up on top of the cliff. He had no idea what he was going to face when he got there. But that didn't matter to Jonathan. Think about this. The, it, it, the scripture describes them crawling on the, with their hands and feet to get up this cliff. Do you think they were fresh and ready for battle when they got to the top? I don't think so. But jo that didn't matter to Jonathan, did it? It didn't matter. Not the least. Jonathan was doing something that Saul wasn't. Jonathan was trusting God, which brings me to the second factor, which we'll call the trust factor. What was Saul trusting God for in this point? 
he wasn't really trusting God for much of anything. Like I said, he, he was letting his circumstances get the best of him. He was letting his circumstances say, oh gosh, we don't have a chance here. Think about this. Saul didn't expect God to do anything more than he asked God to do. And he wasn't asking God to do much, was he? Scripture tells us he was camped with his men. What was Saul's plan? What was his plan? He was just sitting there, maybe waiting. I don't know. He didn't seem to have much of a plan. And even when Jonathan was starting his attack, Saul was sitting under a tree, waiting on God? I'm not sure. But in contrast, Jonathan puts all his trust in the Lord. Not only did he trust God to tell him what to do, he trusted that God would bring him victory no matter how many soldiers he faced. He says God can do it, even if he's got a small army or a little army or just a couple people. Jonathan knew that nothing is impossible with God. And Saul's lack of trust in God caused him to do nothing. Think about that. You have Saul with 600 men sitting on their hindies under a tree. And you have David with one armor bearer saying, let's go get him. Now you say, well, Jonathan's maybe a little, did I say David? I apologize. Jonathan, David comes later. You might say Jonathan's a little nuts, but no. Where's Jonathan's trust? His trust is in the Lord. And Saul's like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. Which brings us to the third factor this morning, which is the fear factor. You see, Saul was influenced by his fear. Saul was afraid. First of all, he was afraid that Samuel wasn't coming, which caused Saul to make the sacrifices. He was afraid that they wouldn't have God's favor in the battle. And we talked about this last week, that Saul was like, oh, Samuel, you better get here or God's not going to be with us. Wow, is that a really awful, awful understanding of who God is, right? He's like, we've got to have these sacrifices or God's not going to be with us. And Jonathan's like, you know what? We're going to go and we'll know what to do by what the Philistines say because God is God and we're going to trust him. Do you see the difference there? Huge, huge difference. He was afraid they wouldn't, Saul was afraid they wouldn't have God's favor in battle. He was afraid that he wouldn't have enough soldiers. And here's a problem with fear, friends. Fear can be paralyzing. And we see this, don't we? We see Saul filled with fear, sitting under a tree doing nothing. One of the things about fear is fear friends, can keep you from seeing the truth. It's a wonderful song by a Christian artist by the name of Zach Williams. And these are some of the words from one of his songs. And it says this, Fear, he is a liar. He will take your breath and stop you in your steps. He will rob your rest and steal your happiness. Cast your fear in the fire because fear, he is a liar. Fear causes us to see things differently than how they really are. Fear can cause us to not trust God. Fear can cause us to be overwhelmed by our circumstances. However, Jonathan had no fear. 
Why? Because he was trusting God. Look at what Jonathan said earlier. He said, let's see if I have this on. Yeah, no, I don't, sorry. He said, nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has uh, many warriors or only a few. Friends, whatever battles we face in life, we have no reason to fear. We need to be like Jonathan. Because God is always with us. And not only is he with us, he will fight our battles for us. Look at this quote. This is awesome. Uh, Lyndon Gung, uh, uh, Unger said this. He said, when the Lord is your ally, your enemies become his weapons. Isn't that awesome? And we see that's exactly what happened. As God was Jonathan's ally, God used the Philistines to defeat the Philistines. Your enemy becomes the Lord's weapon. Why? Because God is all that. God is amazing. We can't be paralyzed by fear, friends. We can't be beaten down by fear. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a sad place to be. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. How many times it says, fear not in Scripture? 365 times. One for every day of the year. How about that? Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Trust in the Lord. As we face challenges, friends, let's face them like Jonathan. huh? Let's ignore the circumstances. Let's trust the Lord and let's go forward boldly and have no fear. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we're going to sing one more song. I want you to think about that as we're singing this song together. Think about that idea of the fact that we no longer have fear or need not fear because of the Lord. You know, we sing these songs in our services and that, and you, we may sing songs and you go, oh, wow, that's a great song. I like that song. I like the music. I like the melody and that. But we need to think about the words. We need to think about the words to the songs. Uh, earlier we sang... I am free. I'm free to live. I'm free to dance. And we're free. And we're free from fear because of our Lord. Would you stand with us, please, as we uh, sing together and finish this service? And may this song be a, a declaration of your heart this morning as we, as we worship together today.